0: evening. What's up, everybody? I'm yeah. going to be with you guys tonight. This is it. It's the last summer of 2021. You can boo. It's okay. We can boo. But we'll only have a few short weeks we'll be back together for the, the start of the fall semester. Uh, first thing I'd like to do is just give a little shout out. Because uh, I was actually supposed to be preaching about a month ago. Uh, my wife ended up, I had severe morning sickness, she's pregnant, we were in the hospital, she's doing much better now, she's doing much better now, but at the time, I wasn't able to prepare a sermon, so my good friend, Andrew Garza, stepped up to the plate weeks notice, Andrew and Beth wrote a sermon together, Andrew preached it, big shout out to, to both of you, I don't know if there's uh, a better picture of two people that work full time jobs, and have a lot going on in their lives. I don't think I've ever seen either one of them not have time for people, not invite people into their home and love and serve people. So, great example if you're looking for how to love people. Uh, This summer's been pretty incredible. We've looked at some heroes of the faith. We've got to talk about a lot of people. we talked about uh, Francis Xavier, Hudson Taylor, Margaret Wilson, C.T. Studd, William Booth, George McDonald, Watchman Nee, and Corey Tempu. Uh, what's ridiculous to me is that we could keep doing this every week for the foreseeable future and we would not run out of incredible people to learn about there's been so many people throughout history that God has used and I I think like I've spent the last two weeks going back and forth and back and forth, who am I going to talk about I had like a whole other sermon written about somebody else that I'm not even going to talk about tonight because there's so many options we haven't talked about Charles Spurgeon or D.L. Moody or Henry Drummond Elizabeth Elliot, R.A. Torty, Amy Carmichael, F.W. Bourne. I could literally stand here just for the whole sermon and name people, we could do it all night. But the point is this, I would encourage you, uh, maybe someday we'll do this again, but for the foreseeable future, we're not gonna be doing this on Tuesdays, but I'd encourage you, these books, these biographies about missionaries and, and preachers and pastors, they're so easy to get, they're so easy to come by, Recently, Andrew had found a guy on YouTube that does uh, these biographies, these documentary things, video form that you can watch about people's lives. There's so many ways to do it. Uh, A book that I have with me here is uh, pretty incredible. It's called 50 People Every Christian Should Know. it's written by a man who's pretty incredible himself. His name's Warren Okay, And almost all the people that we've already talked about are in here, and even more than that. And each chapter is like... Three to five pages is an easy read to sit down and learn about somebody's life. Uh, And I tried to figure out how to give it away. I think what I'm going to do is instead of giving it away right now, whoever remembers after the service and comes to find me, the first person to find me and promise me that they'll read it, gets to have it. Uh, We were also going to give away uh, some core 10 book books, but Emily forgot again. so bug Emily. She has core 10 book books, she'll give it to you. I, really uh, I, I think it's so fun to read these these stories of people that have come before us and to learn about what God has done in their lives and through their lives across history because it always is encouraging to me and it always helps me to remember what's possible when we trust and obey Jesus. So that's what we're going to do tonight, hopefully, is we're going to take a look at the life of one more person, and hopefully we're going to be encouraged and allow Jesus to speak to us through their lives. Uh, but first let's pray. Jesus, we love you, God, we're grateful to come here together tonight to, to learn about another story of somebody who is faithful to you, Jesus, who you used, who you transformed. God, we pray that you would speak to us tonight. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our hearts, and we leave understanding your character better. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, the person we're going to talk to, uh, talk about tonight, his name is Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence. Okay? And he was born around somewhere in between 1611 and 1614. People go back and forth on the exact date. Uh, and he was born with the name Nicholas Herman, which is not as cool, but we'll get to that. He was born in uh, what is now Eastern France. Uh, I, I love historical context. For me, it's really hard for me to understand what's going on in history like on a broad scale context, so just for fun, to look at some other things that were going on when he was born. Uh, In 1611, around the time he was born, the King James Version of the Bible had just come out. 1616, Shakespeare dies, so Shakespeare's just ended his career. 1620, the pilgrims are arriving at Plymouth Rock in America. Uh, 1665, not as fun, the Black Plague kills a lot of people in London. Uh, Some other notable people, if you are a nerd like me, uh, Kepler, Newton, Galileo, these are the people that are alive around the time that Brother Lawrence is living his life. We know from uh, his writings that he gave his life to God around the age of 18. This is what he says about it. He says, In the winter I saw a tree stripped of its leaves, and I knew that in a little time the leaves would be renewed, and that afterwards the flowers... And the fruit would appear. From this I received a high view of the power and providence of God, which has never since departed from my soul. The view I grasped that day set me completely loose from the world and kindled in me such a love for God that I cannot tell whether it has increased during the more than 40 years since that time." And what's cool, set aside the fact that he had this incredible experience where God showed him something uh, so profound from just something as simple as a tree But this, we'll go on to see that this is going to be a perfect picture of the life of Brother Lawrence. We don't know a lot about his early life except for the fact that he was extremely poor. He was born uh, to a poor family. He was so poor that eventually he joined the army because they promised him that they would feed him every day and they would pay him a small salary. During his time in the army, he served in what was known as the Thirty Years War, now, I can't even begin to tell you exactly all the things that happened. Uh, obviously, it's a long time. It's a big, uh, huge thing in history. What I do know about it is it actually lasted 29 years, 11 months, 3 weeks, and 1 day. Uh, but it's not as cool to say the 29-year, 11-month, 3-week, and 1-day war, so we call it the 30-year war. And I would imagine, based on his laughter and nobody else's, it's trying would love to talk to you after you want to learn more about the 30-year war, it's believed that at one point during his time in the army he was captured by enemy soldiers and not only was he captured but they told him that they were going to hang him because they believed that he was a spy so what's incredible about this story is that not only does he convince them that he's not a spy and that he's not a threat and should therefore not be hanged or hung he convinces them to just let him go okay that's all they tell you about the story they don't there's no details it's just he convinced enemy soldiers that went from wanting to hang him, to saying, okay, see you later, have a good life. And I think that speaks a little bit to his character. We're going to see that a man that can convince enemy soldiers to release him is a man worth looking at his life. Uh, Not much longer after that uh, experience, he was badly injured and, and forced to retire from the army. We don't know exactly what his injury was, but it's likely that it was Maybe his sciatic nerve in his leg, which would have caused shooting pain down the entirety of his leg. And for the rest of his life, he had difficulty walking and standing for long periods of time. After he retired from the army, for a very short time, he served as a footman to the treasurer of the king of France. And this is his words. He describes himself during this time as a great awkward fellow who broke everything. (laughs) A great awkward fellow who broke everything. So it did not work out. He spent not very long as a footman. And it was after that that this uh, man who had seen unspeakable things in war, who was horribly wounded, who's a self-described, awkward person who breaks everything, decided around the age of 26 that he wanted to join what was called the Discoled Carmelite Priory in Paris. Sounds fancy, but really all it means. Discoled meant that these specific uh, monks and nuns, uh, walked barefoot or with just simple sandals. And Carmelite was just a reference to the fact that this was started near Mount Carmel, which we know from the Bible. When he joins, he's immediately given one of the coolest names of They called him Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Which, <laughs> say what you will about the Catholic Church, but they had some pretty cool names. Yeah. Uh, I am technically a service of God, and that's about all they gave me. I didn't get a cool name, but I joined uh, But he joins the priory uh, he doesn't have enough education because he was poor growing up and immediately went into the army when he was allowed to. Uh, he never studied in school, so he, he would never become uh, what they called a cleric. He would never have a position of leadership. He was not going to be a priest or a cardinal or somebody important. He became what they called at that time a lay brother. In other words, he was going to do manual labor, serving and loving the rest of the people at the priory for the rest of his life. He spent. Uh, around 15 or more years, working in the kitchen, and that was his job. He would go to the nearby town and get food and help prepare it, and would wash dishes. Uh, later in life, in old age, his, his leg injury made it so he could no longer stand, and so he would sit and he would repair people's sandals. And he did this for the rest of his life, and he died a quiet death in the year 1691. And if we just stopped there, you'd be probably confused about why we were talking about this man almost 400 years later. And though he seemed insignificant to, uh, to most people in the world, a good number of people would come to recognize his quiet wisdom and would come to the priory looking to speak with him. He would sometimes write letters to people, people would come visit him, he would make visits to them, but there was, people were starting to notice something in his life that was different. Even though he was a layman, he wasn't important in the eyes of the world. And uh, a person who spent a lot of time with him describes him this way. He says, Lawrence was open, eliciting confidence and letting you feel like you could tell him anything. Once you got past his rough exterior, you discovered an unusual wisdom, a freedom beyond the reach of the ordinary lay brother. You see, what Brother Lawrence had learned through his many years of practice was how to invite the presence of God into his life at all times. He says it this way. He says, I made this my business, not only at the appointed times of prayer, but all the time, every hour, every minute, even at the heights of my work, I drove from my mind everything that interrupted my thoughts of God. You see, it didn't matter whether he was cooking, washing dishes, fixing people's sandals. Brother Lawrence wanted to do things in God's presence. He said, we can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him, who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. There was a man who was uh, in the eyes of the world more important than Brother Lawrence's, uh, who was a representative of the local archbishop at the time in the Catholic Church, he was a big deal, and somehow he comes across Brother Lawrence and they starts to have a friendship, and he would come and have a conversation with him, and it was he that, after Brother Lawrence passed away, went and compiled his conversations with him, his, his letters that Brother Lawrence had sent to, to other people and his personal notes, and those were what would be published for years and years and years, which we now know as the practice of the presence of God. And this is, uh, it's incredibly short, it's like, you could read it, I would say, if you're not taking notes, in 40 minutes to an hour, it's a very short book, a compilation of these things. And you can find it on Amazon for like $3.99. Um, and so, I'll tell you this, uh, a lot of us have copies, I don't have them right now because I just recently gave one away, but anytime I see this book, I buy it. And I give it to people because uh, it changed the way that I think about inviting the presence of God into my life. I'll tell you what, uh, was when I was in college, a guy came to, to talk, and he was talking about a different book called Master of Evangelism, there's also an incredible book, and he told me if you don't read it, then you're an idiot. And I remember when he said that, I was like, that's a little bit harsh that you would say that. And I didn't read it, because I was an idiot. And years later, like four years later, I was reading it, and I like recalled that, and I'm like halfway through and I already know it's good, and I was like, oh man. So I'll tell you this, if you don't read it, you're a big though okay? So the importance uh, of being in God's presence is emphasized in his life, in his writing, in his works, but we see it emphasized so many times in the Bible as well. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And that's just one verse, but the whole chapter, chapter 15, is Jesus telling us why it's so important to spend time in the presence of God. We see it in Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God is looking for people who will will seek after his presence. and He wants to meet with you. And again in James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that word double-minded just reminds me that so often we do this where we're, we're so focused on um, back and forth and things in life, and we exclude God from parts of our life that we, we believe he has no business being in. But if we would learn to invite him into everything, then we can start to understand some things that people like Brother Lawrence understood. Yeah. Probably the most famous example in the Bible of this is something you've probably all heard even if you haven't read much of the Bible. It's Psalm 23, written by David. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what's really cool is that there's a quote from uh, Brother Lawrence's writings that matches this perfectly. Brother Lawrence says, let all our efforts be known to God. The more one knows him, the greater one desires to know him. Knowledge is commonly the measure of love. The deeper and more extensive our knowledge, the greater is our love. If our love of God were great, then we would love him equally in pain and pleasure. What's interesting is that King David and this man, Brother Lawrence, couldn't be more different in the eyes of the world. David was a king, and and Brother Lawrence was a a war-torn veteran who was disabled, who was a, a person that just washed dishes that wasn't important. How is it that these two men, who are so different across thousands of years of history, have come to the same conclusion? I think it's because they've both been in the presence of the king. All throughout the Bible, all across history, God chooses to use people who love him and spend time in his presence. One of my favorite favorite stories in the Bible is just a few short verses, but it's in Exodus 31. Exodus 31, starting in verse one, says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. And moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given the ability to skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. So why is this cool? Why is this interesting to me? It's interesting because these two dudes are just two dudes. They're just guys who are obedient to the Lord because they were obedient here's what they got to do things that they were building the skills that he gave them he was uh, allowing them to lead everybody else in building what was called the tabernacle in other words it was the place where god's presence touched earth and after that they would go on to build the ark of the covenant which is how the israelites carried the presence of god everywhere they went so because these two dudes were obedient to jesus Not only did they get an outpouring of His Spirit, not only did they get His presence, but they helped other people experience His presence as well. This is great news for me and maybe great news for you, because most of us aren't going to be famous. We're not going to be in positions of power or leadership. I'm not particularly smart or talented. I'm literally just some guy. But if I'm obedient to what God asks of me, and if I can practice spending time in His presence... Then I can help further his kingdom and see other people come to know him and experience his presence in their own lives. So what does this look like? I think the question we have to ask is, are we inviting him into every part of our lives? The easy question that I will never stop asking myself and others is, why do I do the things I do and who do I do them for? Brother for Lawrence says it this way. He says, men invent means and methods of coming to God's love. They learn the rules and they set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet, it might be so simple. This is not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of Him. Now, it sounds easy when you say it. And Brother Lawrence will tell you in his writings that this is something that he practiced for years and years and years. Years of uh, of washing dishes and, and making food and going to get supplies. And learning slowly but surely to invite God into all of it. In, in his writings, he says, uh, obviously, this is a, a Catholic priory, They would have these set times a day where they would go to pray. And he had been in God's presence for, for the entirety of the day. And it was almost a bother to him to be taken out of his small kitchen and have to go and pray and do this, this big ceremony and all these things. Because he didn't need that to be in God's presence because he had been with him the entire day. I think the reason that most of the world doesn't do this is because it's much easier to live our lives selfishly believing that we belong at the center of them. It's so easy to get wrapped up in, in our lives and what we think is important. We're so quick to think uh, that we can do everything on our own and we don't need his help and his guidance. So what can it look like to invite him into things? For me, it's similar to Brother Lawrence when I'm washing dishes, when I'm mowing the lawn. Recently, I discovered have you ever thought about the amount of time that you spend driving places? It seems like these short stints of time, right? You drive from home to, to the campus or from campus to work and back. Maybe it's just five minutes at a time. In San think everything feels like it's exactly 15 minutes apart. But that time adds up. And this, it's different for different people. Maybe you put on worship music. Maybe you sit quietly and listen to Him. But that's important time that we can utilize to spend with Jesus. Walking on campus seems like something that's so simple. For years when I got to college, my first few years I would walk, and anytime I was walking all the way across the parking lots from my car to the classroom, I would have headphones in listening to music. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but one day the Holy Spirit stopped me and He said, what if you just took your earphones out, and you walked and allowed me to come with you, and you allowed me to show you what's going on on campus and the eternities of the lives of the people around you. What could happen if we do that every time we're on campus, when we're reading? Maybe it's something as obvious as uh, reading the Bible or reading biographies of these incredible people or books that they've written that help us get closer to him, but maybe it's uh, your textbooks. Maybe it's as simple as studying of Jesus. It's something that I, I learned uh, pretty early in college, was that it, it turns out Jesus and God created everything. And it's, it's so silly to me that we forget that and we, for, we think he's not going to be able to help us with these things. Or that he wouldn't want to spend time with us while we study. You're here for a reason at college. He's placed you here on purpose. He knows what your dreams for the future are. He knows what he has for you and what you need to do to get there. And he can help you do it. Uh, I can remember nights where uh, I'd be out late or small group or resource or, or work or whatever it was. And i get home at 10, 11, 12 at night. Now I've got a test to study for, I've got a paper to write, whatever it is. And I would just learn to get on my knees and ask Jesus to help me. And things like that people would would say are far from God, like accounting and economics, things that I had to study that Jesus understands completely and can help me. I think uh, if we can learn to get on our knees and ask him for help and invite him into those kind of times, we'll see some incredible things. So what can this coming fall semester look like if... We all got better at practicing God's presence in our lives. We've got a a friend who's a a missionary, and he is an incredible man of God. He's ministered in in some of the most difficult places in the entire world. And he would tell you that no matter where he is in the world, no matter what's going on, he tries to spend at least two hours a day as soon as he gets up with Jesus. And this is something I've heard echoed throughout my years in ministry of, of older people that have come before that are wise, people that are godly, they all have a common theme of spending as much time with Jesus as they possibly can. And if these incredible men and women of God who are much holier than I am need that time, how much more do I need it in my own life? You can ask yourself, what has your summer been like so far? We're coming to the end of the summer. Maybe you're like me, and it's a mixed bag, right? There was days where I, I did well and I invited Jesus into little things in my life. But there was days where I did exactly what we talked about, where I was selfishly wrapped up in my own business, worried about things that were uh, were problems to me or, or in my head that, that uh, I didn't invite Jesus into. I think uh, one of the times in my life where I learned this lesson the most was uh, after I graduated college, I did the internship program with Chaiapha. It was that year in the beginning of the internship that I met Marina, who later became my wife. Uh, we started dating, two weeks into dating, uh, Uh, I was invited to meet her parents, which is not, like, a normal thing. Uh, She was hilarious about it, she was very apologetic, she was like, listen, it's my mom's birthday, you can come, or you cannot come, where you're invited, like, don't feel weird about it, you don't have to show up. Uh, And so I decided to go, I spent time with her family. Uh, Two months later, I got to spend uh, Thanksgiving with them, same kind of thing, it's like, I'm in the middle of the family and I've only known her for two months. Uh, and so at the time it felt, uh, it felt exciting, it felt uh, a little strange, but it, it was three days after Thanksgiving that year that, that her mom went to do with Jesus. And so looking back, I could see God's hand on our lives, and I was blessed to be able to go to a silly birthday dinner or to spend Thanksgiving with them, but immediately I'm thrust into a situation where I've only known her for a short time, I'm trying to learn to comfort her, I'm trying to learn to, to comfort a family full of people who I don't I don't know at all, an extended family. Uh, and there's, there's two things that I needed that, that helped me to be able to love her family and to support them through their time of grief. The first thing I had was a support system of brothers around me. One of the first things I did when, it, when that happened is I texted Richard and Jonathan and the other guys in our resource and I asked them to pray so they could pray about the situation and also after that, they were, they were supportive. They did everything they could to help me to support Maria's family. second thing I had, and most importantly, was God's presence. Uh, it was one of the times in my life where I knew that I desperately needed his help. Uh, I, I don't think it would have been possible for me to to do uh, to have spent so much time with the family, spent the weeks before and after the funeral with them, doing, I was at a loss, doing whatever I could do, right? Little things around the house, and helping them, and trying to love them, Uh, And I didn't know how effective I was being until it was after the the funeral. Her uncle, Mike, who's a hilarious guy, like, you got a picture of, like, a Roman Catholic guy from New Jersey. Like, exactly what you're picturing in your head is what he's like. And Uncle Mike came up to me, and he gave me the greatest compliment that I've ever received in my entire life. And he shook my hand, and he said, son, I see Christ in you. Now, this is a man who most likely hasn't been to church since he was a little boy, but he knew the presence of God from his time in church, and he could see it in my life. And there's nothing special about me, again, I'm just some dude. I'm just a guy that was reliant on Jesus. Because I invited his presence into my life, because I was desperately in need of his uh, his Holy Spirit, I was able to bring the presence of God to others around me. So what would happen this year if all of us did this? If We all relied on his presence. I think this is an interesting time in campus ministry because we're gonna get thousands of students that are coming. Maybe they just finished high school and this last year there was a pandemic. They're desperate for friendship. They're desperate to just spend time with people. Maybe even people that were here last semester their freshman year that were stuck in their dorm and didn't make any friends. I think not only are they uh, expecting friendship and the college experience, there's a lot of people who have never experienced the presence of God in their lives. What would happen if, when we're walking on campus and helping people move into their dorms, we brought the presence of Jesus with us, we were reliant on his Holy Spirit, when we're moving people in, when we're helping them find classes, when we're playing soccer and other silly games, what would happen if we were all bringing the presence of Jesus with us? The worship team, can go ahead and come back, I think what the Lord uh, spoke to me before this, what I believe I need and what all of us need, as we prepare and think about the coming semester, is some time in his presence. Um, the This looks different for different people. What we're gonna do is the worship team's gonna play. Maybe for you, you, it's coming to the altar, the altars are open, or you can make an altar in your seat. You could find a spot anywhere in this big sanctuary. Some people will like to journal and, and write down what the Lord's speaking to them. Maybe it's worshiping. But what we're gonna do is do whatever we can do to be in his presence because we desperately need it. And if we can learn, like Brother Lawrence, to practice his presence in our life every day, we can start to see more and more people come, come to know him and experience that presence as well on campus. Uh, let's do this. You can go ahead and stand with me and we'll pray.